We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. I want to move right into the word today, if you'll allow me that privilege. And I want you to take your Bibles, your iPads, your iPhones, your Androids, whatever device you have the word on. Turn to Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. Today is Pentecost Sunday. It commemorates the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, many scholars think that the church this year is somewhere around 1,989 years old, depending on when you date the birth of Christ, etc., etc. The church has been around for quite a while. The church has withstood attacks at every angle. The church indeed has lived out and fulfilled Jesus' prophecy when he said in the book of Matthew, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You and I sitting here today are proof of that promise. You and I here today are bearing witness to the fact that regardless of what Satan has attempted to do, he has never been able to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. It lives on by the power of the Holy Spirit. Someone should take heart in that this morning. Someone should recognize it doesn't matter what I'm facing, what problems or trials or circumstances are in my life at this moment, I will overcome because I am the church of Jesus Christ. I am the one that Jesus spoke about. I am who he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against. Oh, folks, that's good news to you and I today. So when we celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday, it's with an eye to the past, recognizing what God has done and what is in store for you and I, and it's with an eye to the future, knowing that there are better days ahead because we are following a living God, knowing that the end will be greater than the beginning because we're following the living God. When I think about the birth of the church, I just, I just always get excited. Such a phenomenal, powerful God thing. Wasn't something that man dreamed up. It wasn't man's idea. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 1 verse 4, you can read it with me. Jesus said to the disciples these words. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I want us to think about that prophecy and how it was fulfilled. Jesus gave a specific command to that group of disciples. I don't know if there were 120 when he spoke that word, those words, or if there were 500, or if there were 11. I have no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us. But what it does tell us is that group, however large or however small, determined to obey the word of the Lord. Can I tell you great things happen in our lives when we determine to obey the word of the Lord? When we decide, I'm going to shut out the voices that are coming against me. I'm not going to listen to the lies that are told about me. I'm not going to think about what someone else has planned for me. I'm going to hear the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord to those disciples that day was, don't leave Jerusalem until. 
I've got a word for you this morning. If you will develop the attitude that I'm going to obey God until you will see great things happen in your life. I'm not moving from the word of the Lord until the promise he's spoken into my life is fulfilled over my life. Someone needs to understand we need some of those until moments of obedience in our lives. You can read it. He said, wait for the promise of the Father. You can go back to Isaiah chapter 40. You can see Isaiah using the same verbiage when he said, even the young men grow weary and faint, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll rise up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. Why? Because there is a blessing pronounced upon those who obey the word of the Lord. Wait on God. How many times do we decide maybe my idea is better than God's idea? How many times do we try to implement our plan? Or how many times... Do we become frustrated with God because what he has promised us isn't happening soon enough? Anybody in that group besides me? I'm being real this morning. Being honest this morning. I often am impatient with what God has spoken. But the promise doesn't lie in my impatience. The promise doesn't lie in me deciding there's a better way. The promise lies in waiting on God. Allowing God to reveal his plan in his time. That word wait, both in the Old and New Testament, brings with it the sense of a confident expectation. A confident expectation. If God has said it, he's going to do it. Every promise of God is yea and amen to those who are in Christ Jesus. What God declared, he is able also to Perform. Throughout scripture, you'll see that sentence of, or that command to wait on the Lord carries with it the hope of something greater about to occur. Wait on the Lord because it's in waiting on the Lord in obedience to his word that we see what God can really do. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 tells us what happened after 10 days of waiting on the Lord. Now, I don't know what they did in those 10 days. I'm sure they prayed. I'm sure they worshiped. I'm sure they talked about the scripture. I'm sure they had to sleep at some point in that time. Had to have a few groceries every now and then. I mean, most of us can't even fathom going 10 days without food, right? Uh, No, that's not going to happen. I don't really know what happened during that 10-day interlude. But I know what happened when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Because verse 1 of Acts chapter 2 says, They were all in one accord in one place. Another way to say that is they all had the same mind and pursuing the same purpose. (coughs) They all decided to obey and wait and came into a position and a place of unity. What did the psalmist write in Psalm 133? He said, it's good and pleasant when brethren dwell together in unity. He went on to say in the last verse of that particular psalm, for it is there, that place of unity, where God commands the blessing. Oh, hear me, folks. We can be of different mindsets, but when it comes to the will of God, we've got to be of one mind. We can have different occupations, different pursuits, different passions, different hobbies, but when it comes to the mind of God, we have to walk in unity. Why? Because it's in unity that God commands the blessing. It's in unity when bearers are broken down. 
It's in unity where I recognize skin color, ethnic groups, language groups, points of origin absolutely make no difference whatsoever because at the cross of Jesus Christ, we're all the same sons and daughters of God. I've come to tell you the cross is level ground. And I can worship with people regardless of the color of the skin, the language they speak, where they're from, because we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and it brings us into unity. Isn't it time we stop focusing on all the things that divide us and begin focusing on the one thing that unifies us? And that one thing is the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, friend, I'm here to tell you, it's an aberration in the sight of God. He abhors the fact that we divide off into little sects and groups and cliques and churches because of the way we look or act or talk. He wants his body to be unified all together. That's why I can say to you, no matter where you're from, no matter the color of your skin, no matter the language you speak, you are my brother and sister and I love you. And we walk in unity. We walk in unity. Anybody that doesn't understand that or apply that is out of the will of God. Plain and simple. Love the way you're shouting now. On the day of Pentecost, they obeyed and they were in unity. All in one accord, in one place. You see, it requires obedience. It requires that we all pursue the mind of God in order to see the power of God poured out upon us. Who was in that upper room? Well, we don't have a lot of names. We know 11 of them for sure. But we know they were Jews. They had came to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. And Jesus said, you wait for the promise of the Father. Don't leave Jerusalem. Don't go back home until you've received the promise of the Father. Oh, hear me, folks. There's a lot of us that come into church day after day, week after week, month after month, and we leave just like we came because we aren't willing to wait for the promise of the Father. They waited for what God had to do. They were Jews. They understood Jesus was the Messiah. They believed in him. He was the hope of their hearts. And as they sat there in that upper room, read it with me, Acts chapter 2. It goes on to say in verse 2, and suddenly... There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Suddenly, I want you to hear that word, suddenly, in the midst of your waiting, God appears suddenly. This is a word for somebody in this room today. You've been sitting, you've been waiting, you've been praying, you've been believing. You've been saying, God, what is it going to happen? Today is your suddenly day. Today, he wants to pour the Holy Spirit out upon you and meet that promise in and over your life. Suddenly, he wants to appear to you as he did to those disciples of old. Suddenly, suddenly. There came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. These guys have been waiting their whole life for this moment when they would experience God in such a great and a powerful way. And now it's being completed and fulfilled. The waiting time is over. Suddenly, today the promise is fulfilled in your ears. What happened? The Bible said there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. When you look at the Hebrew and the Greek, the the sound that's described here, this phenomenon, 
is the same thing that happened to David when Samuel took the horn of oil and poured it over his head, anointed him to be the next king of Israel. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, from that day forward, the spirit of the Lord was upon David. Suddenly, the Spirit of the Lord filled his heart and life. Why does the Spirit of the Lord need to suddenly anoint a young shepherd boy? Because he had a mission. He had a destiny. God had a plan for his life. In that moment, God gave him strength and God gave him power to rule. He gave him an anointing to win. He gave him an anointing to trust God and to live by faith. He gave him an anointing to lead Israel to the greatest days it had ever known. Suddenly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. Suddenly, the sound of a rushing mighty wind filled the room where they were sitting. And then suddenly, tongues of fire fell upon all of them. What's the significance of tongues of fire? Go back to Isaiah chapter 6. Verse 1, Isaiah wrote these words, And in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And the cherubims and the cherubims continually cried, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. When Isaiah witnessed that scene of heaven and glimpsed the holiness of God, his response were these words, Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Then one of the cherubims, the Bible says, took a coal off the altar of God and placed it upon his lips. And then said, whom shall I send? Who will go for me? And what did Isaiah say? He said, here am I, send me. Oh, the cloven tongues were there as a cleansing, as a purging, to separate us unto the purposes and the plan of God. Just as Isaiah of old saw the holiness of God, received the coal from off the altar, when the Holy Spirit came that day, he came to cleanse, to purify, to set apart, and to call into service. We need to understand the purpose of the Spirit of God is to cleanse us and anoint us. And then in Acts 2, 4, the Bible says the word, these words, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Suddenly there were tongues of fire. There was a rushing wind. And then a demonstration that became physical and outward in the life of these disciples. They were filled with boldness and authority and began to speak in tongues they never learned. Languages that were not their own. Who was among them? A guy named Peter was among them. Same Peter who just a little over 50 days prior had pulled his sword to defend Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and cut off the servant of the high priest's ear. Same guy. Same guy who less than 24 hours later denied Jesus three times. He wanted to defend him. He wanted to stand up for him. He wasn't a coward. He just didn't have the ability to do it. Oh, hear me, I'm talking to somebody in this room this morning. You want to live for God. You desire to live for God. You know how good and how gracious he is, but you just don't have the ability. Can I tell you, that's why Holy Spirit has come, to fill you with power and enable you to live for Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Peter defended him, then he denied him. He caved under pressure. But now on the day of Pentecost... 
Now when he's been filled with Holy Spirit, now when all of those in Jerusalem heard them speaking in their own languages, they thought these guys are drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Man, they've been at it all night long. They're drunk. Now I've seen some drunks do some pretty crazy things. Calvin, you can probably agree with me. Some pretty crazy things. I've seen drunks try to run through walls. I've seen them try to shoot a nail through their foot with a nail gun. I've seen them try to make a car do things it shouldn't do. Drunks do crazy things. But one thing I've never seen a drunk do is speak a language they never learn. So on the day of Pentecost, you can read it in verse 7. Peter stood up and he said, hey, hey, wait a minute. This isn't what you think. These men aren't drunk. This is the promise of fulfillment of the promise of Joel's prophecy from Joel chapter 2. And they begin to speak the word of God over their lives. Why couldn't he do that when that little servant girl accused him of being a disciple of Jesus? He had the desire. He just didn't have the ability. He had the heart to identify with Jesus, but he didn't have the power to claim him as his own. He denied him, but when the day of Pentecost was fully come, suddenly something happened inside of Peter that was reflected on the outside. Oh, can I tell you, he'll give you boldness. He'll give you courage. He'll give you wisdom. He'll enable you to walk in the anointing, the power of God that he has set you in if you allow him to fill you with the Holy Ghost. It's a promise. It's what we see in this passage of Scripture. Peter didn't lack courage. Peter wasn't a coward. He lacked the ability. And when Holy Spirit came, he received the ability, the power to stand for Jesus Christ. He looked that mob square in the eye and he said, Jesus Christ, the one you murdered, he rose again from the dead. He's the son of the living God. And this is that which was prophesied by Joel. And all of the sudden, suddenly, suddenly, that group of 120 miraculously expanded to 3,000 people. 3,000 were born into the kingdom of God, called Jesus by name as their Savior and as their Lord. Oh, focus on this fact. When Holy Spirit shows up, things change suddenly. Suddenly. You don't have to be waiting. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to wring your hands. All you have to do is say, God, fill my life today. Spirit of God, flow through me today. Do something in me that is not natural, not natural. And then verse 43 of Acts chapter 2, it says, great fear came on them all. That means reverence. There was a newfound appreciation for who God really is. That's what happened to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. He had a newfound appreciation for who God really is and what God stands for and represents his holiness, his might, his power. And it says, signs and wonders, miracles continued through that group of believers. Suddenly, great things were happening. Suddenly, God was on the move. Many had thought, we killed Jesus, it's all over, it's dead, nothing else is going to happen. But I've got news for you, 50 days after his crucifixion, he also came in the power of the Spirit of God and established the church of Jesus Christ, and it's continued for almost 2,000 years. Why? Because of the power of the Spirit of God. Suddenly things begin to happen. Suddenly things begin to shake. Suddenly holds begin to be broken loose. 
Suddenly, people's lives are being transformed. Acts chapter 3. Peter and John were just doing what they knew to do. They were going to the temple to pray. And as they walked through the gate beautiful, there was a lame man. Acts chapter 3, I believe it's verse 22, tells us he had been lame from birth. And he was around 40 years old. Never walked a step in his life. He had to be carried or, or put on a cart and pushed wherever he went. He couldn't even walk. Hadn't been able to his entire life. And the Bible says that he extended his hand and asked alms of Peter and John. He asked for an offering. What was he doing? He was asking for money so he could eat. That's what he was doing. Asking for enough money to buy some bread so he could survive another day in his state and in his condition. That man asked what man could do. But Peter gave him what God could do. And the Bible says he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, his feet and his ankle bones received strength, and he began to walk and leap and praise God. Suddenly, God appeared in his life. Forty years he had waited. Forty years outside the promise. Forty years a cripple. But when the Holy Spirit showed up in Peter and John, suddenly his life was revolutionized. I've come to tell you this morning, you need to believe in a God who comes suddenly to interrupt you, to come into the midst of your life, to do something miraculous, wonderful, and powerful that you never dreamed he was able to do. That man didn't have faith for his healing. He had hope for an offering. But when Holy Spirit shows up, he changes our perspective. He fills us with anticipation. There comes within us a desire for greater things. Oh, can I tell you, God doesn't want to leave you in the place he found you. He wants to take you to greater things. He didn't destine you to stay where you're at. He destined you to move in his grace, his mercy, his power. You don't have to say, listen to me. You never again have to say, I'm an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. I was washed out and washed up. No, you say, I'm a child of God. I'm a son and daughter of the king. I have a destiny filled with hope and future. Why? Because God came into your life suddenly transformed you and changed you. I get so tired of people retelling the story of their past. Can I tell you, you need to get over yourself. Come on, you need to get over yourself. Everybody has a past. Everybody has skeletons in the closet. But most of the time when we're retelling that, we're either looking for sympathy or we're looking for a handout. Stop living where you were and begin living where God wants you to be. Move forward in the power of God. Verse 8 says he jumped up and began walking and leaping and praising God. The legs that had never even borne one ounce of weight were now supporting his full weight. He'd been living with that issue for years, and now he was made whole. That applies to some in this room today. You've been living with issues for years that God wants to deliver you from. And it can happen in a suddenly moment. It can happen when you open your heart and you say, Holy Spirit, welcome to my life. Come and change the atmosphere in me. Do you know what that means? It means get rid of my stinking thinking. Get rid of my self-pity. 
Get rid of all the causes that I've given for so many years why I am who I am and where I'm at. It means allow God to come in and suddenly transform your life. Do a work in you that is unbelievable, yet undeniable. The result of that miracle? Peter and John were called before the Sanhedrin. That's the church group. That's the religious folks. They really didn't like what had happened, so they called him in to question him. By what power have you made this lame man walk? Now, do you see the hypocrisy in that? Shouldn't there be some gratitude to God because one who was crippled is now walking? One who was not a productive citizen of their society could now become a productive citizen? One who before could only beg for offerings now was giving praise to God. His life had been transformed. Do you see the hypocrisy? By what power have you done this? Do you know what Peter said? By the power of the name of Jesus, who you murdered and hung on a cross, but on the third day, God raised him from the dead. And today, he's making intercession with all men for a, before a living God. Peter was bold in his witness. The same guy who denied Jesus before a servant girl was bold now before the religious rulers. Why? Suddenly, the Holy Spirit came upon him. Acts chapter 5, you'll read in the end of Acts chapter 4 that Barnabas owned property. He saw there was a need among the believers because many of these folks were from out of town. They didn't have money for motels and meals and all that kind of stuff, you know. They needed some help. So he sold a piece of property and gave it to this new church so they could distribute it among those with need. And it was a great thing, a generous thing, a God thing that he did. But there was another couple that owned some property as well. And they saw how people responded to Barnabas. They saw the acclades that he received. They saw that people held him in high esteem, so they thought, we can do the same thing. So they went and sold their property, and then they brought the proceeds to Peter. Holy Spirit spoke through Peter, and Peter asked Ananias this question. Is that the whole price of the property? And he said, yeah, it is. Listen, Peter wasn't condemning him because he withheld a part of the price. It was his money. He could do with it what he wanted. He was condemned because he lied to the Holy Spirit. And the Bible said immediately he fell dead. Three hours later, his wife came in. Peter asked the same question. She fell dead. Listen to me. When we are living and walking in the presence of God, there is no place to tolerate the evil of the enemy. God exposes it. He brings it to light. Peter would later write in 1 Peter 4, 17, judgment must begin in the house of God. You see, that pattern was established in Acts chapter 5, that God wants his people to be purified and cleansed. God wants his people to live in honesty and integrity every day of our lives. It's illustrated through the life of Ananias and Sapphira. See, when we determine to wait on God. When we determine to worship, to pray, to praise, to trust, to believe, we can expect some suddenly moments. We can expect God to show up and blow our minds. Never forget, I was 19 years old, lived in western Oklahoma, had my private pilot's license. One night after work in the summertime, I decided to go flying. Took off and I flew west for a long, long ways. And as I flew, I 
turned and looked behind me, and there was a huge thunderstorm. So I thought, well, I'm not going to get back to Fairview anytime soon. So I found an airport and I landed. I waited hours for that storm to pass. When it finally looked like the skies in the east were clearing, I took off and headed back to Fairview. And the closer I got, the harder the wind blew. Lightning was flashing and popping. Thunder everywhere. The plane was jumping all over the place because of the wind. You know, I was in a dilemma. I was a brand new believer. And I, in that moment of time, said, God, I need some help. So I lined up on runway 18 and prepared to come in. The plane was crabbed almost at a 45-degree angle because of the force of the wind coming against it to keep it straight over the runway. I knew I didn't have the skill. I didn't have the experience. I didn't have the ability to land that airplane. I was probably going to crash. And in that moment, I remembered a Sunday school story. That I'd been told as a boy that Jesus was asleep in the boat. And they were on the Sea of Galilee and a great storm came up. And the disciples woke him up and said, don't you even care that we're about to die? And what did Jesus say? He got up. He rebuked the winds and said, peace be still. And then he said, oh, ye of little faith. Something sparked in my spirit. And I said, God, if you could do that for them then, you can do it for me now. Would you please still the wind? I tell you, those words are no more than left my lips when the wind completely died. Died. I landed that plane without a breath of wind whatsoever, taxied, tied it down, and as soon as that last tie down was in place, that same gale gust of wind picked up once again. Oh, come on. There are suddenly moments when we give God an opportunity to move in our lives. Doesn't mean we do stupid things so we can see Him deliver us. But in the course of everyday life, there will be things that happen to you that require a suddenly moment. I've come to tell you, I serve a God who sent his Holy Spirit suddenly so that you and I could know and understand he's able to do what no other can do. In April of 2017, we called an audible. We said our mortgage lender lied to us. We're not going to pay them another dime until they honor their word. 18 months later, suddenly they came up with a solution. And on July 15th, when we'll close on the plaza, they're going to write off almost $5 million of debt. A suddenly moment. <laughs> Couples that couldn't have babies. But in a moment, God touched them. And they're holding that precious promise in their hands today. Oh, do you hear what I'm saying, folks? People have received diagnoses that are not positive, but God touched them. And suddenly, they're alive yet today. I serve a God of the suddenly. I serve a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or even begin to think. I serve a God of the miraculous. And I serve a God who on Pentecost Sunday almost 2,000 years ago sent His Holy Spirit. Sent His Holy Spirit to infuse that group of 120 believers that they become the seed, the nucleus of something that he was going to do generations in the future. Thousands of years into time, he would continue the work that he started in that small group of people in a suddenly moment. In a suddenly moment. Stand with me today. Tom, please come back. I believe this morning that God wants this moment to be a suddenly moment for you and me. 
this moment to be a time when we experience the power of God as never before. So if you're in this room today, you have something in your life that you need God to come in and come down. You need him to touch you, deliver you, heal you, strengthen you, give you wisdom and guidance. It doesn't matter what it is. You, have a, you need a suddenly moment. As Tom begins to play and sing in just a moment, I want you to step out and come. Because we're going to join our faith with you. And we're going to believe that in a suddenly moment, God's going to meet you in your life. God's going to touch you. God's going to do whatever you need him to do. It's time to expect him to move in your life. It's time to expect him to do miraculous things in your life. That's you this morning. I've just talked about you and described you. You need a suddenly moment. Step out and come right now. Don't wait for anybody else. Just step out from where you're at and move to this altar area. You need a suddenly moment. Step out and come right now. From the front, the back, the east, the west, the riser, step out and come right now. Every section, step out and come. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.